we get to wrap up our series called The Living Word today. Now, this has all been about how God speaks to us, right, through His Word, how He comforts us, how He helps us, just as He did with the disciples. He is there for us today. I kind of want to start off this morning with just a question to you. Do you ever feel like uh, God does not care about your feelings? Do you, you ever feel that? Do you ever feel like that, hey, God doesn't really need to be bothered with what I'm experiencing, with my emotions, with my feelings? Uh, like he's got more important things to worry about. He doesn't really care about me. I, I feel like for many Christians, uh, w- they would say that. When we go through struggles, it's easy to assume, hey, I'm on my own. I've got to figure this out. Um, no one cares. God, if he did care, would just tell me to get over myself and get on with life. I have a feeling that, that a lot of people kind of have that mentality. That A lot of people think that way, that think they just got to suck it up, get on, and it doesn't really matter what I think or what I feel um, because God has more important things on his mind. And the result of that is that when you feel that way, you go through life and you just kind of put on your happy face and you fake it. You think you got to wear that mask and you feel like you got to keep just pushing through. Don't let anybody know that you're struggling. And there's a danger there, right? Because we need to, to realize that sometimes we're not okay. Sometimes we are struggling and that God actually really does care about us in those moments. That is where he meets us. That is where he strengthens us. That is where he carries us. Um, You know, when emotions overwhelm us, do you believe that God is actually for you? I I want you to know this. I want you to hear me on this. Um, You matter to God. Your feelings, everything that you go through, your emotions, everything, God cares about you. And that kind of, that's just my first point this morning. That Jesus, he really does care about our emotions. Now, for again, I think we kind of flip that around and says Jesus cares about our obedience. Jesus cares about what we do. Jesus cares about what we accomplish. But he cares about who we are becoming in the process and what we are going through in the process. I want you to realize that never in Scripture do we see Jesus dismiss the feelings of others. or He doesn't invalidate people who are struggling, right? On the contrary, what he does, he tells people that you can find shelter, you can find refuge, you can find healing, you can find rest when we come to him. And so when we're faced with, that, with those feelings that in those moments of struggle, when we, our faith is shaken, what we do, we can go back to Scripture. We can be reminded that our emotions, now, they were created by God, and they're meant to bring us closer to Him and not to pull us farther away. Now, when you read through the Psalms, do you read, uh, do you read about when David wrote most of the Psalms, when you read those, do you get a sense that he, ca- that he has feelings, that he has emotions? That he is struggling at times. Do you feel like he is ashamed of those? Or do you feel like those are bringing him closer to God? He, he's crying out to God throughout the Psalms. We see this in Scripture. 
Jesus cares about our pain and suffering. We see this through the book of John. He offers us hope and encouragement. We've spent these last few weeks studying John 14, 15, and 16. These three chapters are really important because they're his farewell discourse. It's his last message to the disciples before the crucifixion. And so he, these are his last words. He's preparing them. He, he's telling them he's going to send the Holy Spirit to them. He's telling them, here's how you're going to stand strong. You've got to stay connected to the vine. You've got to abide in me. You've got to realize that I'm sending the, the Holy Spirit to comfort you, to help you, to strengthen you. Jesus even had the audacity to tell them, you're going to be better off that I'm not even here. That's what he told us. You're better off that I'm going away and because that's, as a result of that, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And that is even better than me being here with you. I want you to realize that it was Friday of the Passover week. Jerusalem was crowded. Uh, Jesus has been meeting with the disciples. They've had the, the Last Supper. They, he's washed their feet. He's, he's told them he's about to leave them. He's getting ready now to head over to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That's where he will be arrested. That's where he will be led, uh, really, to the cross from there. Everything is about to change. And Jesus knew that the disciples would be feeling this entire range of emotions. Uh, he cared about them. He wanted to comfort them. He wanted to give them hope and encouragement. I read this week it said, Jesus unloads a dump truck of earth-shattering news on the disciples. He tells them about betrayal, about crucifixion, about persecution. Not just as possibilities, but as certainties. Now, as Jesus closes this time of instruction... He tells the disciples he's going to do something in them that will bring a fullness of joy that transcends the darkest, dreariest, most dire and depressing circumstances they will ever face. So we're going to be in John 16 today. If you got your Bibles, you can flip there with me. Uh, we're going to start in verse 16 today. Uh, this whole series, we've gone verse by verse, and I love doing that because it helps us understand the context of what we're reading. Helps us get the, the bigger picture of the story so we don't just pick a verse here and there, right? Um, and, and this is what he tells them. He says, in a little while, you won't see me anymore. He keeps repairing them. He keeps telling them, I'm getting ready to leave. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says in a little while you won't see me, but then you'll see me? And am I going to the Father? And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. We don't understand. And, and so again, this kind of this section kind of concludes this whole uh, farewell discourse uh, as it's known. And, and this really, this whole section deals with the emotions of the disciples. Now, I mean, right here, you're already seeing confusion. He, he says he's leaving, but then he's coming back. I, we don't understand. What is, what's going to happen? And is he going to the, where is he going? And, and is, how long is a little while, right? I, I think of this is like if, you know, you tell your kids, um, in a little while we're going to the beach. What do you think they're going to say? They're going to say, are they going to say, okay, sure. Well, whether they're say, wait a minute, what, what beach are we going to? When are we going? How, how long is a little while, all right? I mean, they're going to be excited. They want to know details. 
They want the answers. They want specifics. And, and Jesus is telling them here, right? I'm leaving, uh, and, and, but I'm coming back and in, a, in a little while. And they're like, what does that mean? Don't leave us hanging here. And what we're going to see, does Jesus really care enough to kind of prepare them, to give them some answers to help ease their anxiety and their worry? I don't know about you, but to me, it helps me, it helps me understand. It helps me to understand that the disciples were real people with real struggles. It helps me understand that, I mean, these disciples, they struggled. They, they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what was going to happen. And, and it helps me to, to realize that that's the same thing we go through today. And that Jesus cared about them and he cares about us. And so with everything going on in their mind, they needed some reassurance. And Jesus is about to show them that he cares. And, and what he's going to do, he's going to give them hope again. And the way he's going to do that is by transforming what they're uh, struggling with into something better. He, Jesus is he, he, he's about transforming our life. And today, we're going to learn three different ways he transforms us. And, and so the first thing that he does, he transforms our sorrow into joy. Jesus transforms our sorrow into joy. When you have sorrow, Jesus has a way to transform that into something better. That's what I love about Jesus. He takes what is bad, he transforms it into something better. One of the recurring themes in this whole section is joy. Uh, Obviously, they weren't experiencing much joy that night. I mean, he's told them, "I'm, I'm, I'm about to be arrested, I'm about to be... Uh, put to death. Uh, you're going to betray me. You're going to run from me. You're going to deny me. At, at this point, th- joy was the farthest thing from their, their mind. But what he is about to tell them makes a huge difference because he's patient with them. He cares about them. He's telling them this is how you, your sorrow can turn into joy. And at the end of their story, it's not going to be about pain and persecution. It's going to be about joy. And so he kind of is preparing them that what they're going through is temporary. Let's read in verse 19. Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? Um, I love, you couldn't get away with like saying stuff under your breath around Jesus, right? Like if you were just like, well, yeah, he thinks I'm... I mean, you know, I mean... Wouldn't it be great, like, everything you think or you're about to say, Jesus like, wait a minute now, I heard that. I mean, that's kind of what happened here. He said, in a little, I said in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. Now, if I was starting a, a section about joy, I don't think I would start it this way, Right? I mean, I don't think I would start it by saying, hey, you're not going to see me for a while and you're going to weep and you're going to mourn. That's not really how I would open up. I I would like frame it like the, you know, the, uh, you know, you you hear, you want to frame bad news with good news, right? The kind of the happy sandwich. You you share something good and then you share the bad and then you share something good. And it kind of eases the pain a little bit. That's not what Jesus does here. He kind of just goes right in 
and, and you're going to weep, you're going to mourn over what's going to happen, but the world will rejoice. While you're weeping and mourning, everybody else is going to be happy. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be, and then he gives this analogy, right? It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you will use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Um, again, like this is kind of an interesting way to share this. Um, the disciple's sorrow is going to turn into joy. There is going to be sorrow. There is going to be pain. There is going to be a, a time of testing and trials here, a, a time of tribulation. But the joy is going to be there. Um, and so Jesus, I, I, I would say, right, he's answered some of their questions, but they're still confused. They still don't understand. He's already told them, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? Going back to John 14. That's the first thing he told them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go prepare a place, I am coming back to get you so that you can be with me. Now, that's the essence, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He's told them all of these things, uh, almost like riddles. And, and they're putting it all together now. And, um, but they still don't know. They're still asking, what do you mean? I think we do this all the time when we read our Bibles, right? We read something, we try to figure out if, if it applies to us, and we ask God, what do you mean? Uh, what, what do you, what's going on here? And, and does this really, what does this mean, what I think it means? And, and, and we have that conversation, and we can have that conversation because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in us to help reveal the truth to us and help us understand. Uh, but at this moment, right, Jesus is talking directly with them. And what he's telling them is your deepest, uh, your deepest moments, uh, your, your, really your greatest joys are going to come out of your deepest moments of sorrow. Uh, your, your greatest joys are going to flow out of your sorrow. And so sorrow and joy are not two random emotions. These two things are intricately, intricately uh, linked together. Uh, the sorrow must come if the joy is to take place. He uses this um, incredible analogy to, to make, uh, make his point. It'd be like a woman in labor, right? Labor's not, I, 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 from what I've heard, labor's not fun, right? I think most of ladies in here would love to skip the nine months of pregnancy and labor just in, and just skip straight to the baby part, Right? Uh, it doesn't work that way. You don't get the newborn without the morning sickness, without the heartburn, without the contractions. Um, after a baby bo is born, though, it, it's easy to forget the pain of the pregnancy because it doesn't matter anymore. The joy has replaced the struggle. Um, you know, after um, I got myself in trouble uh, a little bit. Imagine that. After we um, had our kids, and Luke was born really quick. So our, our kids were born in Winston. We drove from here down there. And, and so we got to the hospital and, and um, you know, we're getting checked in and they're getting ready to do like, I don't know, like the, 
the needle in the back thing and all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going to the cafe. I'm getting me a Dr. Pepper, okay? Um, and I'm like, we just checked in. We got plenty of time. And next thing I know, a nurse is running down there and said, are, are you Michael Morris? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you need to get up there. Your wife's having a baby. I'm like, oh, we just got here. You, you must mean somebody else. And they're like, no, no. And I'm, so I'm like sprinting back up there. And it's like the doctor comes like sliding in the room, you know, putting on his gear. And the baby's there. And I'm like, man, this was awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, I remember telling, and this is where I got in trouble. I remember telling people afterwards, like, man, Jennifer had the baby so quick. It wasn't even painful at all. That's, that was my last mistake, okay? <laughs> you don't say that to a woman, guys, okay? Even if it goes fast, don't, uh, uh, okay? It, it, it was a fairly easy, no, I don't even, I can't even say that. I, I've had kidney stones, can, so can I say, no, I don't even have the, it, it, it's tough, right? And, and so the, the reality is, though, after you go through labor, uh, you quickly forget, and you just you, you're just so thankful for the blessing that you're holding. Um, and, and so I, I just share that because I love this illustration that Jesus, your sorrow is real, but what comes after is so much greater. You're going to forget about the sorrow. What comes after is so much better. That you're gonna you're gonna have so much joy that you're gonna forget about everything that led you up to that point because it won't even compare, and that's the joy that Jesus speaks about in this passage. Can you imagine how much joy they had when they saw Jesus return from the dead? Right? I mean, all their hopes and their dreams were shattered when he was crucified on the cross. But then three days later, he's like shows up and like, what up? What's up, guys? They're like, wait a minute, it came true. What you said actually happened. That's the joy that they're talking about. This joy can never be taken away. Now, their possessions, they can be taken away. Disease can take your health away. Death can take family away. But this joy that they're about to experience can never be taken away. Uh, I read this week, and this was good, so I'm going to share it. It's long, but... If the disciples' joy is in something else, if, if they try to find joy in sex, money, work, hobbies, then certainly their joy could be taken away from them. But since their joy is found in Jesus, His victory over sin and death, and the promise of His ongoing relationship with Him, then every attack against it will be futile. Uh, the devil longs to steal our joy, and it's not usually too hard because we place our joy in things like relationships, work, events, security, and health. And it's like putting your life savings in a piggy bank, leaving it in a high crime district at night with a hammer, and adding a note asking people to leave it alone because it's really valuable. How's that going to work, right? You're a fool if you think it's going to be safe. But if our joy is in Jesus, we trade the piggy bank for Fort Knox. And the devil gets a plastic spoon instead of a hammer. You're a fool if you think he can touch it. If the disciples' joy comes from a reunion with Jesus, their position in him, and his promises to them, then what weapons could the devil possibly level against their joy? Their, the most powerful weapons are useless. And of course, the ultimate fear, the ultimate weapon, the ultimate joy stealer is death. 
But Jesus disarmed death. He conquered every enemy. If we find our joy in Him, we have nothing to fear. Our joy is impervious to all attacks leveled against it. Jesus' resurrection guarantees he can, never, uh, he can never die again, and those who follow Him will never experience separation from Him in death. We may leave our physical bodies, but Jesus will never leave us. That's how He turns our sorrow into joy. Because we know what's coming. We know how the story ends. We know what's going to happen. We know what's coming at the end. So that's the first thing he transforms, but he, doesn't, he does more than that. The second thing, he transforms our doubt into faith. He transforms our doubt into faith. Verse 25, let's keep going. I've spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, At last you are speaking plainly, not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything, and there is no need to question you. From this we believe that you came from God. All up until this point, they keep saying, but we don't understand. we got more questions. We need to know this. We need to know this. And finally, they're just like, okay, we get it. You're going back to the Father. That's all we need to know. We know, we believe, we understand you came from the Father. You are the Son of God, in essence, is what they're saying here. Now, I'm, I'm still, they're still not to the point where they understand everything completely. Right? Because we see that just a short time later that they're running and scattering and denying and, and Judas is betraying. And we see that, but we see that they've come to that point where they believe. They've come to that point where they have faith. They've come to that point like, we've got to trust you, Jesus, because we know who you really are. And so the disciples, they've had the right answers. They've had the head knowledge. They, but they were struggling with doubt. They were struggling with their heart. And now we see everything kind of coming together. He's just told them, I've been speaking figuratively. And, and, but now they're like, okay, we start to understand what you really mean. Um, you think ahead for these 11 men now. They've got 40 days of serious teaching that would take place between the resurrection and the ascension. They've got, uh, they've got some serious time with Jesus coming up. Uh, and the, they've got a lot to pack in that. But what we see, right, from this point until Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, there's a lot, that, that, a lot of teaching that takes place. But in Acts chapter 2, we see the disciples completely transformed by the power of God. We see a boldness. We, see, we don't see men who are doubtful. We see men full of faith, full of fire, full of passion um, that would not deny Jesus no matter what happens to them. And as you read the accounts of the early church, what you read is these men took the message and his disciples, they took the message to the ends of the known world and they were martyred. They were, they were killed because they would not deny Jesus. That sounds like faith to me. It doesn't sound like doubt. 
That doesn't sound like insecurity. That doesn't sound like, well, maybe he would, maybe, no. And I love, I've heard it said over and over again over the years, the disciples wouldn't die for a lie, right? They wouldn't die for a lie because they knew, they knew that what they saw, what they experienced was real. And that's why they turned the world upside down. And uh, they were missing one thing at this point. They were missing the Holy Spirit that would come a little later, as I talked about. That's the missing piece, the missing person that would bring them the power and the boldness and the understanding that they needed to change the world. Um, and that's what we need now, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and I'll just keep sharing this with you guys, and I hope you, you don't mind me being repetitive, but the same Holy Spirit that was in the disciples lives in you. The exact same Holy Spirit that empowered them, that strengthened them, that gave them boldness, that turned their, their doubt into faith is the same Holy Spirit that can do the same thing for you today. And so if you're here and you're like, Mike, I just, I'm not, I'm still on the fence. I have my doubts. I don't understand everything. Join the club. It's where the disciples were. But Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, took those doubts. He transformed them into faith where the disciples just stood back and said, we don't understand everything. We don't get all the details. But this we know. Jesus is the Son of God. And that's what I want you to come to that same realization, the same place. Because Jesus is in the business of transforming our doubts into faith. And one last thing He transforms. He transforms our fear into peace. These last few verses. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when, when you will be scattered. Each one going into his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. For the past couple of weeks, um, you know, we've been learning how Jesus has been teaching his disciples and in extension really teaching us uh, that there's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardships for us. Uh, and here he ends the passage pretty plainly today. You will have troubles. You will have trials. You will have sorrows. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You think about the disciples now. They've lived the last three years with Jesus. Um, they were confident in their abilities. I, I would say even overconfident, especially Peter at times, and what they would do and, and how much trust they have. And Jesus, he's, he's, not, he's not sugarcoating things. You're going to have trouble. But, but one thing doesn't change, and that is who I am. And that's where you can find your peace. When the world is shaking and falling apart all around you, your peace is going to be found in the one who never changes. And that's what we need to realize today. When your life is crazy, when your life is chaotic, when your life doesn't make sense, your peace is found in the one thing that never changes, and that is Jesus. We belong to the one who overcame the world. I read again, it said our responsibility then is to believe him. You need to, to, to battle the unbelief. You need to battle the doubt that creeps into your mind that calls Jesus a liar and undermines your joy. You've got to identify anything that hinders your joy in Jesus. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's a misplaced priorities. But what hinders our joy is our habit of 
ingesting so much of the cotton candy of this world that we never get around to feasting on the rich, satisfying joy that is ours in Jesus. Can I just say, where are we looking for our joy? Are we looking in things that are fleeting, things that are temporary, things that won't last, things that, that we think, if I just have this, I'm going to be happy. And, and I could say, like for each one of us, there's something, if whatever it is, I, if I had fill in the blank, then I would be satisfied. Then I would have joy. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's a better job or a better house or more money or less debt. Whatever it is, there's something that is stealing your joy right now. I just want to challenge you a little bit. Where are you really looking for true joy? Because Jesus can transform your fear into peace, into joy, into comfort, right? That's, and I just, one last thing I really want you to notice here. When the disciples are struggling, when they're asking questions, did Jesus rebuke them? Did Jesus say, I can't believe you thought that? No. What? He showed patience. He showed understanding. He showed compassion. Uh, Even though they were weak, he was patient with them. He instructed them. He encouraged them. And he does the same thing with you and me. So don't ever feel like you're bothering Jesus with your questions. Don't ever feel like you're bothering Jesus with your insecurities and your fears and your doubts. But instead, when you bring those to Him, let Him transform them into something better. You can't stay there, but He can transform them. That's what Jesus is all about. Uh, You need your sorrow turned into joy this morning. Do you need your doubt turned into faith? Do you need your fears turned into peace? What needs transformation in your life? Because Jesus, is, that's, He's a God, of transform, a God of transformation. He wants to transform us. And the, the, the amazing thing is He wants to transform us to be more like Jesus. And so as, as we kind of close today, I can't think of any better way to close than with a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Right? That's what, that was the last thing he did with the disciples to, to, to help them remember who he was and why he came and why he was returning again. And, and we're going to do that this morning. And so I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. Um, we're going to pray. And we're going to uh, have a time that we can receive the, the elements and then we'll take communion together this morning. Uh, but would you guys uh, bow your heads this morning? Heavenly Father... We just need that reminder today of how much Jesus loves us, of how he wants to transform our lives. And it starts with transforming us um, into (laughs) children of God. And that happens when we put our faith, our trust in Jesus. You will save us. You will adopt us and bring us into your family. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here today that they would be able to say with confidence, not just with confidence, I know who I am. I know who Jesus is, and I know that my faith, my trust is in Jesus, and that faith will save me. Lord, I pray for this church, that we would be people who are transformed by the power of the gospel. People who are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us. People who 
are not afraid, who are not ashamed to, to live boldly for you. So that's our prayer today, Lord. Would you strengthen us? Would you lead us? Would you encourage us to be the people you've called us to be? So today, Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, that today would be that day. They say, I, 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 I know, I'm ready, I believe. Just like the disciples, even in the midst of their doubt and their insecurity, they would say, okay, you are the Son of God. Maybe that's where you are today. If that's you, then this is your opportunity to just cry out, say, yes, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that I need you in my life. So right now I confess my sin. Lord, I turn to you. I put my faith, my trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save me. And that's all it takes when we surrender our life to Jesus. He indwells us. He comes, the Spirit indwells us. He, he forgives us. He, he brings us into the family of God. And we are saved for all of eternity. Lord, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.